Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. I'm your host, Wendy Nystrom. Today's special guest is Susan Peterson-Strum. She has 20 years in the operational technology sector. So welcome, Susan. Thank you, Wendy. And we're going to talk cybersecurity today. But um, before we dive into that, could we talk a little bit about, one, your background, and two, if you could explain what cybersecurity is? Sure. Um, I'm unlike a lot of my colleagues in that I'm not an engineer and I didn't study IT. Uh, I actually studied economics in school and I came into this industry when I was actually doing an internship in rural Chile with a group of indigenous people. And it was the first time a kind of agricultural export economy had been introduced into Chile. And this was a group of people who farmed for the food they ate. Uh, so a, a group called the Mapuche, and it was really interesting to see having water services, electricity services, all, you know, these things that we think about, we take for granted, right, in the West, <laughs> somewhat as facility or as capabilities and seeing how their lives had changed because of that. And through that, at the same time, Chile was privatizing their power sector and it took on some very progressive laws to encourage um to encourage more investment for you know more energy capacity more power capacity and i was really interested in the whole kind of economic challenge to attract more investors to build power plants and also how those markets operated and uh that was sort of my my siren call i just i really wanted to get into energy so I've, I've been in oil and gas and power and utility and companies that support those sectors for about 20 years. Um, mostly, you know, kind of focusing on the software and top. To me, it's like this crazy puzzle of how you have these things that generate power or oil and gas, how you get them to the endpoint, how you price them, how you create security around them. Like it's a, it's a big puzzle. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I've really enjoyed that, right? Because it's it's evolving every second. You've got environmental challenges. You've got challenges for the communities where these assets are are hosted. Um, and to me, it's been it's been a really fun, dynamic sector to work in. That's pretty interesting that you went from you know working in a country to help with their agriculture, and then you kind of went into the energy sector, which leads us into your current role of working primarily in cybersecurity. So for people who may not know what that is, what what is cybersecurity? Yeah. So, you know, with cybersecurity, people talk about um, confidentiality. And, you know, we talk about that generally about who has permission to see what data, right? So, you, you know, if you've yeah. done any online healthcare stuff, it talks about your rights to privacy around your medical data. So you talk about confidentiality, you talk about um, integrity, right? And that's, can we trust in these systems? So when you pull up your banking app, right? <laughs> can you trust the data that's there? Can you trust a transaction will go through? Um, and then ultimately availability. So can we count on being able to have access? And, uh, you know, a, a context around that, that was so profound to me, I was, able to attend a uh, cybersecurity conference and one of the leaders within kind of a critical infrastructure cybersecurity related agency that the Biden-Harris um, administration has put in called CISA, uh, the leader of that organization, Jen Easterly, brought her counterpart from the Ukraine. And uh, her counterpart from the Ukraine talked about 
you know, I think about critical infrastructure as power, water, you know, all of those things that have, have really struggled as critical services during the wartime. And he talked about the importance of, you know, if you've been evacuated from your home, <laughs> if you uh, are don't, you know, cannot be physically close to your loved ones, the criticality for society of our digital infrastructure. And for me, even though I'd been in this space for a long time, just how vital that is to create some level of normalcy. If, if you have an online business, you can continue to work globally that way. You can continue to stay in touch with your family. You can see them. Um, so, you know, to me, and then if you move that to critical infrastructure, it's a little bit different because we're talking about securing utilities and healthcare facilities and bridges and emergency response. Um, but we're all so reliant on software now in those industries that a real focus is on how we secure the solutions um, that you know help operate those assets and also the processes around there. So, you know, how we would give somebody access to a certain system. Um, and what's really challenging, I told you I like puzzles, is that some of that infrastructure was born at a time like in my childhood where i'd hear modems it sounded like <laughs> like they have some really and old equipment <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's kind of like your mom's old blender that's worked for 50 years right it's awesome it's worked really well right and in some cases you have to go to the taxpayers for more money so if it ain't broke don't fix it right i mean that's some of the so having the expertise to be able to look at that and say well how could we secure that as we add more you know remote censoring or whatever to that um and then it, you know it's it's just very interesting to think about how we secure those assets that kind of infrastructure as we adopt more kinds of technology and renewables and smarter technology mm -hmm. compounds the challenge yeah i mean two things here so when you talked about you know your healthcare and you know transactions going through cybersecurity is important when you're working with your bank well the money that mm -hmm. you just transferred make it to your account or make it to whoever you're paying it so someone doesn't jump in there and take your money and also more with the infrastructure i think it was a few years ago um there was a water supply where someone hacked yeah. into it and they were kind of changing the chemical formulas of the water mixing which could be bad very bad things could happen so that's the cybersecurity that would be implemented to protect that water source. And um, the work you've done, you've worked for the White House, you've worked for the World Economic Forum with in respects. That's pretty remarkable stuff to do. Well, I want to tell you, I'm a huge admirer of the White House. I have not worked for them. And I'd be excited to talk to you a little bit about the really great work they've done to make our workforce more inclusive. Um, and I have huge admiration for the, the focus that the current administration has on security. Um, I What I love about this community, there are kind of two things. One is these are mission driven people. Right. Yeah. These are the people who we, we have a strong contingent of people who served in our military forces. Right. And uh, that that, you know, kind of came out from that training. Right. Uh, but very mission oriented people. There are people who have worked for FEMA. Those types of people who are very comfortable on the front line, but are or or people from an engineering perspective that are folks who'd focus on reliability. Right. So they're very intrinsically motivated to make things secure and as easy as possible, like availability is, you know, we talked about confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Availability is really, really freaking important <laughs> in these <laughs> industries, right? So 
thinking about how you apply security controls so people can actually operate things easily. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll tell you about the security community is we've all kind of grown up together. So this this field, you know, I've been in the space for about 15 years, probably the operational technology security you know, industry has been around for about 20. So it's a very collegial, really cool industry to get into. The other thing I would say is we're all pessimists by nature. So you talked about the old SMAR, um, you know, incident with some water treatment uh, facilities. There is no failure of imagination of everything that can go wrong. There's a bad joke that I heard from a colleague who said, you know, a cybersecurity person sees somebody walking with flowers down the street and assumes there's a funeral. Because we can see that everything that can go wrong, but our challenge is to help people secure things, help design things in a secure way, help find good ways to deal with legacy equipment that, that we can still continue to have high levels of availability. And it's important that you, I mean, you want to think of it, you know, you always think that everything goes wrong. You have to, you have to fathom everything that can possibly go wrong. So you're prepared. That's the only way you can be prepared. And with respect to cybersecurity and the jobs post, as you said, it's an industry only like 15, 20 years old. You've told me that there are so many open positions in this world and you do not need to be an engineer. You've said, uh, you, I believe you told me you don't even need a degree. You yeah. Just, it's a tr it's, you can learn this and the availability for anyone that's job hunting, this is a growing field. It touches every facet of our world. Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting to me. Um, you know, I have for, for about a decade, I was the only woman in the room. <laughs> uh, and back then, a lot of times the youngest person in the room and not, you know, the IT person or engineer. So it felt kind of funny, right? Um, you know, and so... I love that our industry is focusing on inclusion. I, I like to give you kind of a real world example. Um, I live in kind of in Colorado in an area close to Wyoming where a lot of mines have closed down. And I was, you know, going to my uh, cell phone company and, you know, upgrading, you know, some hardware. And <clears throat> the person who was helping me was super duper helpful. And, you know, I was like, hey, thanks for your help. And she said, yeah, you know, I, my, the mine closed down. I used to work there as an operator, you know, and I missed that job because the shift let me um, stay home, you know, or be home in the afternoon with my kids, right? And this was a mama uh, and she did not have a college degree. And it was really cool to work with her and say, okay, you know, here's some apprenticeship programs. <laughs> so it, it's folks like that, right? And if you think about, um, you know, if you think about ways to how we transition. So that's, you know, in general, right, the cybersecurity workforce is 4.7 million people. But there are 3.4 million uh, open roles at this point. And it's, it's daunting. And um, I, on one hand, you know, I, I think that it was truly pragmatism when people saw that many jobs that were unfilled because initially you would see these job descriptions that, you know, and people talk about this a lot in the tech sector where it's like you have to have 73 credentials and 63 years of experience yeah. and you're like, you know, that person would have to be MacGyver or something to, <laughs> like, um, so what I'm seeing now is much more of a, a very pragmatic focus, uh, both by private industry, and I'd like to talk about that, as well as our government to try to bring people in. From a scale perspective, we are reliant on these Internet of Things devices. They are our watches. 
but they are also remote control uh, operation systems for all the hot tubs at your uh, health club chain. And they are insulin pumps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. right? So, yeah. so many devices really require that we up level, right? As a society on, um, it, you know, and, and certainly I don't, I'm not implying that insulin pumps are open, right? But, the, you know, as we use different technologies, there are risks around them, right? And yeah. having that kind of awareness and many, many more devices as we all tech is cheap and we embrace it. So one of the, I, lo I love to highlight the great work that Bobby Ford, who's the chief information security officer from HPE has huh? done. And he created a program, um, you know, that was basically very focused on, it's called the career reboot program, right? And it was really interesting. I, I got to hear Bobby talk in Geneva at the World Economic Forum. And he was saying when he was admitted into the military, when he was in high school, his qualification was that he had a pulse, <laughs> right? And through going through the military, he received a great deal of leadership training, but also was able to, you know, help pay for his college education, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. And so what he found was that there are all these entry-level roles that people did not have the minimum credentials. And so he created this with the partnership of, of his company uh, at HPE. They created basically a way to kind of transition entry-level people into a new path. And so that would include people who, you know, were former bus drivers, moms returning to work, uh, people who were formerly incarcerated, ran restaurants, the whole thing, because you're really looking for a mindset in, in one sense and an ability and, a, and an openness to learn, right? So some, some of the roles are sort of first responder roles where you're monitoring events. Other ones could be on the engineering side to help people look at those threats that you talked about, right? And, you know, yeah. operate that. Uh, another one could be around the area of compliance. So it's a pretty open area. And even in the space of HR, helping or, or learning, helping people learn um, how to, you know, how to grow those skills. So I, you know, that's a six month program, which is pretty intensive. Um, they do project work, they embed with mentors. That's the other thing I would say about this industry is that it's it's not super competitive. We're here. We all have the same mission. So I could call, you know, a colleague from a competitor company and talk to them about the security of their product, and they would be very open with me. So it's it's a great it's a great place to join. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's really important because um, actually, on a previous uh, discussion I just had this morning, competition between companies is sometimes ridiculous. I mean, mm -hmm. you guys. The only way we're going to advance is working together, and especially with something like cybersecurity and how important that is. We all have to share that information to make everything more secure and getting the right people in involved in getting, you know, the training. I love the fact that there's this training and you said there are even grants out there to help train. People. Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about that. And that's yeah. the, the thing that the White House is doing that is really cool. So it's called the Cyber uh, Workforce and Education Strategy. And the focus there um, is to basically 
find a way, how do we nationally, I mean, there's some, some things in there about, you know, general training for us as a, as a community, as a population to become more aware that that's everybody from our grandmas, you know, to helping uh, younger kids under, you know, be able to interact online safely. Right. But a, a significant part um, is different programs to expand the workforce. And so one example is the national science foundation that's invested 24 million in kind of a cyber corpse right? And that's a scholarship for service awards over the next four years to, you know, help address, uh, help grow that workforce. And so, you know, they're partnering, um, you know, with uh, federal, local, state, and tribal governments to try to develop that. And you're seeing uh, even, um, you know, a, more of a focus actually towards certificate uh, types of learning as well in particular types of, uh, in particular areas within the security regime, so, or discipline, so it wouldn't necessarily require a four-year degree, right? And yeah. those types of um, scholarships and engagements with, you know, community colleges, uh, you know, kind of apprenticeship programs are very powerful to bring more people in. Um, in the private sector, there are a number of groups that are just doing awesome to you know really try to bring in a broader part or a group that has been typically underrepresented um in it and so one of the groups that i really love their their ceo is named olivia rose has got cybersity uh as an organization and their focus is to achieve a consistent representation of women underrepresented minorities and veterans in the cybersecurity industry and so they have apprenticeship mentoring programs um they work on scholarship opportunities outreach so there are a lot of there are a number of really important voices in that space i've been involved in women in cybersecurity where you know, I, I've gotten mentorship, uh, I've mentored others, but it's a very open community where you can go in and if it's, how do I prepare for this next interview? Or, hey, I need to look at this type of technology and I don't know about it. And it's uh, it's kind of, it's almost off-putting from a <laughs> relative to what I've been used to because everybody really will roll up their sleeves and say, let me take a minute and help you because it's been hard in this industry to try to figure stuff out on your own in a smaller community, right? And so yeah. uh, it, I, I, I just love that about this space. And, you know, the IT world, it, you know, it's a competitive world outside of cybersecurity. I mean, there's a joke, not even a joke, this really happened, where someone was interviewing and they said, well, you need 15 years about this program. He said, well, that's mm -hmm. impossible. And the person said, well, if you don't have it, he said, it's impossible because it was written only 10 years ago and I wrote it. So you couldn't yes. possibly have 15 years of experience. So, yeah. people, you know, these these laundry lists that people say for IT that you have to have all these program knowledge, you'd have to be your own IT department to know all of this. And the training yeah. and the mentorship and the helping that you get in, in the cybersecurity group, that's important. And it's also, mm -hmm. in my personal humble opinion, the most important factor of all of IT is our security. It's really that simple. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it it has been cool. And I think the awareness of having to take a different tact, right? Knowing that you've got a different, you don't have the depth in candidates yet, right? Um, and the thing that I, what compounds this from my perspective, if you kind of take the energy and critical infrastructure with cybersecurity is 
the demand for the skill set is only going to increase. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I've been really involved in kind of the smart technology if it's um, looking at optimization for energy storage or smart city, it's so cool, right? Because you can use capacity, you can use investment differently. And it's sort of like, you know, finding five bucks in your pocket if you have a way to store energy and then deploy it at a different time and you don't have to add more generation assets. I mean, it's just, it's super cool from the puzzle perspective, right? Yeah. But the, the challenge of that though, right, is if I look at like conventional power generation, a combined cycle plant, which, you know, is like what's been built over the past 20 years as coal has kind of gone down to two gas turbines, a steam turbine and a heat recovery steam generator, that might give you 400 megawatts would power like 80,000 homes on okay. average in the US, okay? So you think about, okay, well, you're probably gonna have three people at that plant. Maybe if you're lucky, two or three on security, you'll have the operations teams doing some of the things on maintenance. Let's step back about like a, a PV, a, a photovoltaic you know, solar farm, right? That has five megawatts of capacity. So those assets are all remote. They all have their own control systems and they have to interconnect. <laughs> uh, yep. And the, just the number of assets as we um, basically have more distributed energy resources, as we adopt more you know, smart devices, internet of things, all the sensors that we use on things, being able to deploy those securely, continue to monitor them, update them, you know, oh, yeah. it just becomes very critical in how we're building our economy as we do more things remote, right? As we, uh, every industry, every industry has got some sort of smart operator, you know, thing that's moving toward autonomous. So how do you secure that um, and keep it secure, right? Those those are all things that I feel like we really need to be very inclusive in the space um, and invite others in. Hey, and I, I mean, the inclusivity is, is by far the most important thing in my in my personal opinion, because there's so much intelligence out there and making yeah. sure that you're grabbing from a very wide pool of people is so important. I mean, that that's the most important thing out there. So in addition to you are in operations for 20 years, you are helping mentor people, you have kind of spearheaded the cybersecurity world and getting equality and equity out there. I'd like to talk about your nonprofit, One Warm Coat. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Everything else you're doing, helping the world and making the world a better, safer place. You're also making it a better place on the sustainability side, which yeah, is remarkable. I, How do you do you sleep? <laughs> I, well, it's it's really energizing, and um, you know, it's it's been fun for me to advise uh, to to you know, kind of more on the startup side companies, Phosphorus IO, which is a built for purpose operational technology security company, and then Navigating Gray, which is a company focused on ESG, right? And those are just, it's super duper fun. So I find it energizing. One Warm Coat is a nonprofit that's over 30 years old that was started by a woman in San Francisco who had a coat and was not sure where she could go donate it to. And so this has been always a virtual, completely digital nonprofit that has um, uh, basically uh, matched up, you know, entities that, you know, in, in my town, it's uh, a group that serves homeless adults, another one that supports homeless, uh, you know, school kids, and we'll partner them up and say, all right, we've got excess coats from, you know, in your community, we have a retailer that's just donated some coats that won't be restocked. Can we provide those to you? And um, 
I have learned so much from being part of this organization. And to date, they have basically provided nonprofits with 7.3 million coats over their 30 years of operation. And they've kept 18 million pounds of textile waste out of landfills. Um, so it's been a really cool experience to learn more about um, retail agencies, about the digital technology to uh, you know, retail companies and agencies, how to connect them, <laughs> how you can run a co-drive yourself, um, you know, and little things like, you know, going to your local school and asking them at the end of the school year, hey, can I have your lost and found coats? Uh, they have to be gently used and washed, mm -hmm. right? But every year I do that with my daughter and we, you know, wash those coats and then we find a nonprofit to donate them to. So, it's a great organization. We've had fantastic partnerships with retailers like J. Crew, that have done a, an amazing job, um, even in how they're looking at using recycled textiles. But their engagement with us has been awesome too. So, I mean, so important with the fact when we talk about you know the retail waste that's generated, and the landfills that you know just because people throw things away, there is no way. It's just going somewhere else, and it's affecting someone else. And there, there's now, you know, you can see from satellite imaging that there are these giant mounds of textile waste. So finding a proper place to put it for people in need is extremely important. So this charity, One Warm Coat, very important nonprofit organization to be involved in. Um, how can people get involved with, one, how can people contact you if they want to learn more about cybersecurity and the grants and getting a job in this world? And two, how can they get involved in One Warm Coat? Yeah, so um, the best way to reach out to me is via LinkedIn. Um, and um, I, you know, I really enjoy some of the, <laughs> I, was, I was joking around, but I'm working with a group of Gen Z women who are entering kind of the cybersecurity workforce, either first job or finishing university. And they give me a lot of confidence and humanity. They are amazing. <laughs> amazing women. So I, I really would be happy if there are questions on kind of career development or things like that. Um, and I would encourage everyone to consider affinity groups like women in cybersecurity, if you're looking at that space or, or ways right. to help, you know, in your kind of even local, local community. Um, one Warm Coat, we've got onewarmcoat.org, our website, and it makes it super easy. So if you'd like to hold a coat drive, um, and you know, it's really interesting when I think about this, right? I, you know, it's it's amazing. I've gone to coat distributions. Last year, we went to one in San Francisco for the organization's 30th anniversary. And it, it was amazing to see people who hadn't gotten warm coats, you know, who were really using threadbare coats and in that distribution to give folks new coats before winter. It was a really cool experience to see that. It makes an impact. But the opportunity for all of us to give right, and kind of create meaning in our own lives. And so with my own kiddo, that has been amazing with her friends too, to have that kind of engagement. So One Warm Coat makes it very easy to engage, right? And certainly with companies, um, you know, we've we've had some fantastic partnerships some really creative partnerships with transportation companies donating, you know, ways to transport coats, uh, fantastic retail partners. So, you know, we definitely, um, definitely love that opportunity uh if your company is looking for a meaningful way to uh you know build those kinds of nonprofit you know alignments uh, and absolutely necessary because how many people you know kids outgrow coats all the time you know exactly. girls are a real thing <laughs> and you know sometimes you know a lot of people 
they, they moved to a warmer climate. I've, I, my parents went from Boston to Florida and they're mm -hmm. like, we will not need warm coats again. And, they don't them all. <laughs> and uh, so that, you know, things like that happen. I mean, also styles change. Maybe you're, you're, you know, prosperous enough that you can say every season I want a brand new coat because I keep up with style. Don't yeah. throw it away. <laughs> yes. Please donate these things. These are necessary. There are people out there that would absolutely love to have this. So um, on that, Susan, thank you so much for your time today, your insight into cybersecurity and the, all the good that you do in this world. Um, I am personally grateful for the work that you do. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. Anytime, guys. So I'm Wendy Nystrom, your host with Environmental Social Justice. Again, Susan Peterson-Strom, please check her out on LinkedIn, connect with her, learn about cyber, very important field. You guys take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.